Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Well, let's jump in a little bit to the Lord uh, into His Word this morning as we just continue the series uh, that uh, we started last week called Hello, My Name Is. And if you've ever one of those name tags before, you know that names are very personal. And uh, we see throughout Scripture that God has given us uh, His personal name. In fact, He shared that with Moses and the Israelites, and, uh, and His name isn't God. Uh, in fact, a name was more than just a label. We, we mentioned that last week in just a bit of review. Uh, not, not, not just a label, but beyond that, it was descriptive throughout the Bible of one's character, one's nature, one's destiny. And God had not revealed his personal name before that time. To Moses, he had simply said, I am El Shaddai. I am El Shaddai. That is God Almighty. And as we said, El was the was, was meant, meant king of the gods in the Canaanite world, the king of the gods, El. But God said, I'm not just king of the gods. I'm king of the gods and so much more. I am God Almighty. In fact, when their ancestors, those who followed uh, Abraham or, or Isaac or Jacob, when they were serving God, it was, it, they were serving the God of their fathers. What God do you serve in a land that, that believed in all kinds of different gods and every, every nation had their, their God? God? They said, well, well, what God do you worship? Well, the God that spoke to Abraham, that called him out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, Mesopotamia, and said, leave those other gods and worship me and serve me. And I'm going to lead you to a land you do not know. And he made promises to Abraham, covenant promises, and covenant promises then to Isaac and revealed himself to Isaac. The God of Abraham revealed himself to Isaac and then revealed himself to Jacob. And he was simply known as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Until one day on the backside of the desert, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush and began to call him to say, my people, I know that my people are suffering as slaves in Egypt. And I know that they went there as a family through Joseph and, and that was a part of my providence to them. But I know they've been suffering and they've been calling out to me and I see their suffering and I remember my covenant promise to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and I'm about to do something. I'm about to set them free. And Moses, I want you to go back and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Moses being a little bit reluctant, wasn't quite sure how to handle all of that. And so he asked God a particular question. Moses said to God, Exodus 3.13, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses was saying, God, not just what is your name, but who is your name? Who are you? What is your character? And what is your nature? And God says, I am that I am or, or, or whatever I will be. 
I am. In other words, I am consistent, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am personal. I am powerful. I am Yahweh. And I am not different than the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Whatever I am, I will be. That is his character. But the question that I want to ask today is, why does God need a name? Why does God need a name? Why does God need to distinguish himself in the first place? Well, while we live in North America and, uh, and, and, and oftentimes we play down spiritual things and we brush them off as, as, as simply the things of fiction and the stuff of, of, of horror movies or, or religion, I, I want to share with you today that, that there is something way more than that. While many today want to believe that all different roads ultimately lead back to this general God and eternity and, and it doesn't matter what you serve and where you serve or what you believe. As long as you believe it and you follow that, all road leads to heaven and eternity. I want to tell you today that that is false. That is false. You see, in the East, in places like India, where there is Hinduism, there are literally millions of gods in the Hindu pantheon. There are temples and shrines and idols and incense burning and sacrifices to uh, Shiva and Vishnu or one of the other gods. And oftentimes in speaking to our missionaries, and I spoke yesterday at the picnic with Kelly about this, that, that this is not some powerless figment of the imagination. Something very real spiritually takes place. And when you walk by these temples or you walk by one of these priests on the side of the road that is, that is sacrificing a chicken or a goat in the blood and those kind of things, you can sense that there is something spiritual, very real, that is taking place. You can sense that. It's not something that is, that is, that is just uh, uh, some figment where there is absolutely nothing to it. Friends, there is a spiritual realm that we are not even aware of. If you walk by a new age store or a yoga studio or something like that, oftentimes if you are sensitive, the hair on the back of your neck will stick up and you'll think, man, something, there's something about that. Let me tell you something, tarot cards and Ouija boards and psychics and those kind of things, it's not just somebody making something up. Sometimes that is the case, but other times there are people who are tapping into something that is very, very spiritually real. It's spiritually real. It's not just some figment of the imagination, but here in our Western culture, we, we have a, a way of saying, well, I don't know about that. Well, I just think that's fiction. I don't think there, there's got to be some logical thing to that. Friends, there is a very real spiritual realm that we are not even oftentimes aware of that is impacting our culture, that is impacting people, that is impacting regions, that is impacting areas, that is impacting families. And you can't just set it on a shelf and pretend that it doesn't exist. It's real. So today I'm going to share some things that you may struggle with and you may push back against. But I want to encourage you, stay with me. I don't believe I've lost my mind and I don't believe I'm preaching heresy. All right. <laughs> God has a personal name. And, and I believe that that personal name is very important to our faith and very important to our worship 
and to our spiritual warfare. And I believe that a greater understanding here of the spiritual realm that exists is really, really important to you and I and our faith as believers in Jesus Christ, who was the embodiment of Yahweh. The embodiment of Yahweh. Yahweh in the flesh. And as I mentioned, God's name isn't God. And that raises the question, well, why does God need a name in the first place? What's wrong with God? Well, the truth is nothing is wrong with God. In fact, throughout the Bible, uh, you might be surprised to find that rarely uh, beyond just in the beginning was he called God. Oftentimes, Yahweh, Yahweh God. Why? What's the short answer? Because in that day and age, as I shared, there were many different gods. Before you go writing me off, let me unpack it, unpack it further. Let's go back once again. Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. Elohim. It's not much so much as, as a title as much as it is a category. It's not a name, but a category. He is, he is God, he, Elohim, and this God, Elohim, is the creator of the heavens and the earth. That's who he is. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. But it, you may not realize this, but the Hebrew in the Bible that even talks about other gods or uh, little g gods uses the term Elohim. Elohim. Uh, imagine that. Again, it's a category for an invisible but yet spiritual creature. It can be translated either singularly or plural, depending on the context. And so when you read God or gods, it's the exact same word, Elohim. And right off the bat, in the opening of the story, we are told that this Elohim, this is God, the God who is eternal, the God who always was, the God who was not created, who was the maker of the heavens and the earth, the maker of the sun and the moon and the freckles on your face that show up about this time every July. That's the God that we that we, that, we, that we serve. Now, why is that important? Because this was a staggering claim to make over 2,000 years ago, 2,000, more than 2,000 years ago, 2,000 BC. And when you read Genesis 1-1, <coughs> you have to understand that this, this claim, that this Elohim is eternal and the God who created the heavens and the earth was against the backstory of a lot of other creation-type stories, creation myths, so to speak, like the Babylonian Enumu Eilish, Enuma Eilish, excuse me, uh, a little bit different, but basically claimed that the universe was created in the aftermath of a giant cosmic conflict between the gods. In the Enuma Eilish, the god Marduk leads an epic battle against Tiamat and her monster army. He kills her and then makes planet Earth out of her corpse. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's the kind of stuff that was happening then. And as crazy as that sounds to modern ears, to intelligent people in that time, that was something that, that, was, that, that came out of the, uh, and made sense to them in their world. But the Bible, the Bible claims something completely different. In fact, out of step with the claims of that time, creator God who made the heaven and the earth and the world all in it, it was not born out of conflict or jealousy or infighting, but out of the overflow of God's creativity and his love. Out of his creativity and his love. 
that, that he created the world and the heavens and the earth. And that there was, there was something, something special about how he was creating this world. And then in the very image of God, he created you and I out of his love for us. That was something completely different. And, and this God, the uncreated creator of everything, has no parallel in the entire universe. There is no parallel. And then there are these gods, these, these invisible but real spiritual creations, these other Elohim that are not even in the same category. But it doesn't mean that they're a sham, and it doesn't mean that there is not demonic or demonic power that is, that is surrounding them. In fact, in the second book of the Bible, Exodus, we read about Yahweh. And, uh, and, and again, he's saving Israel uh, out of slavery in Egypt. And, and the last and final plague, Yahweh makes this statement. In that last and final plague, this is the statement. Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Did you catch it? I'm going to bring judgment on who? All the gods of Egypt. I, I don't know if you realize this, but Egypt had a pantheon of, of different gods that they worshipped. Different gods that they tapped into. And it's amazing to me because each of the plagues is God demonstrating his power and his judgment Upon the gods that Egypt had worshipped. Upon the gods that Egypt had trusted in. For example, Amon-Ra was the sun god in Egypt's pantheon of gods. It was believed that he was the king over all the other Egyptian deities of choice. And what does Yahweh do? What does Yahweh do? <laughs> Exodus 10, 21 and 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards heaven. That there will be darkness over the land of Egypt and a darkness to be felt. You ever feel darkness? So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven and there was a pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. It was pitch black. That was Yahweh saying, you think Amon Ra is God? You think he's the sun God? You Watch. <laughs> I'm God. I'm God. Watch what I will do. I don't know if we're getting this or not. Yah's relationship with these pretender so-called gods is hostile. He, he declares war on them. In fact, throughout the Hebrew scriptures, when, when Israel's finally out from, from, from the whip of Egypt, we read this in Numbers 33, 4. While the Egyptians were burying their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. On their gods also. Furthermore, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, he observed this in Exodus 18, 11. Now I know that the Lord, and Lord is Yahweh. Now I know that the Lord, this Lord, is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Now I know. Now I know that he is Yahweh, that he is all-powerful, that he is the God above every other gods. Right? And what's the response? What's the response of, of the salvation? It is worship. 
right? Immediately after, after Israel is set free from Egypt, Exodus 15, 11 is worship. And, and, and how do they begin their worship? Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Yahweh. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? Why? Because Yahweh is in his own class, right? He saved Israel out of, out of Egypt. He's the one and only Elohim deserving of all worship. Think of the language of the Psalms. In the worship of the Psalms in ancient Israel, listen to Psalm 86, 8. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. That is Yahweh, among like you differentiating, giving his name, Yahweh. No deeds can compare with yours. Psalm 96, 4, for great is the Lord Yahweh and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared among all the gods. Think of the 10 commandments. What's the very first one? You shall have no other gods before me. Most people skip over this. We assume that there are no other gods, right? They're all made up, just a, a figment of Israel's imagination. And that could be true, but pay attention. It doesn't necessarily say that. It says, don't worship other gods. Don't worship other gods. It's not to assume that there's nothing there to worship. The phrase before me also is translated above me or in place of me. There is no other gods above me or in place of me. I am I am God. Then the second commandment, Exodus 24 and 5, you shall make for yourself an idol. Or you, you shall not. Whoo, do not say that. That is heresy. You shall not, not, not. That's key. Underline that. Make for yourself an image, an idol in the form of everything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, I want you to see something about this command. Uh, the, the, there's a command about thou shalt not worship other gods, and there's a command about idols. All right? They're not one and the same. We have a tendency to bring them into one and the same, but they're not one and the same. Most people collapse these two, but idols and gods might be linked together in a symbiotic relationship, but they're not the same thing. We already defined a god as an invisible but real spiritual creature. In contrast, an idol is a dead statue, nothing more. It's wood or stone that is, that is carved. It's inanimate. It's hand carved by a craftsman who'd, who'd like to make a buck or, 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 or a priest in need of a job. It's, it's a total misrepresentation. It's a representation of something else. And there's no real power behind it unless there is a, an Elohim or a God lurking behind this represented idol. It's imbuing it with power. And some actually are quite powerful. And that's why an idol becomes dangerous because it becomes a gateway if you're not careful to a very real spiritual being that is not Yahweh. That is not Yahweh. It's demonic. It's satanic. It's demonic. And its power is satanic. Now you say, Pastor, really, is there really power associated with this? Demonic power. Okay, I'm not saying that this is, these are, this is God. These are gods. These are, these are little g. This is, this is demonic power. But there is power behind it. There is a demonic power behind it. It is not the creator of the universe. It is not eternal. These are created beings who have fallen. This is the demonic. But understand something. 
understand something. Even when Egypt, as these demonic gods, were, were representing themselves and people would worship them, even in Egypt, the sorcerers that would worship them, and that's what Israel knew as a family when they were there for so long. God distinguishing himself as Yahweh, also demonstrating that he is a God above all of the demonic powers that are there. Now, go back to Exodus 8, 11, and 12. What happens Moses does a miracle. God says, I want you to go there and I want you to take your staff. And, I, and, and, and when Pharaoh says, Let, show me a sign that this is God, throw your staff down. And when he throws his staff down, what happens? It becomes a snake, right? It becomes a snake. How many remember that? God did that in the wilderness at the burning bush, right? Throw your snake da- staff down, it becomes a snake. Now what happens in Exodus 8, 11, and 12? Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians who all did the same thing by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Now, what I want you to see is, is that the Egyptian magicians, those who were a part of worshiping these gods and those things, were able to manufacture through the power of the demonic the very similar miracle that Moses had thrown down by the obedience of God. That there was some something there, some kind of a power that was there. And it didn't just happen then. In fact, the next, Moses turns the Nile River into blood. And again, these same magicians do the same thing. And then the third time, Moses makes frogs they come up out of the Nile to cover the whole realm of Egypt, but Pharaoh's musicians call on the dark ops, uh, the dark arts, and they copy this exact same miracle. Have you ever wondered, how, how does that happen? Have you ever thought of, like, how does that, what, how would that happen? What, what would they do? How did they, was that just some kind of like, you know, like, like sleight of hand? What, what's going on? No, there, there's something very real, some real spiritual power, demonic spiritual power, that likes to deceive and mimic some things that God does, but it is not God. I'm not trying to scare you. I want you to, to, to understand that there's a reality here and that God sharing his name Yahweh is to say, listen, don't tap into these other sources of power. Don't mess around with this divination. Don't mess around with the demonic. Don't mess around with these things because behind them is something that is real, a real spiritual power not a fictitious thing, not a figment of your imagination. However, I am Yahweh, I am God, and these other gods and this demonic cannot stand up to me or my power. Do not worship any other gods. Do not bow down to any other idols because I, Yahweh, am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. Now, do they copy every miracle? No. The next one. All of a sudden, uh, Moses, uh, what does he do? He, he turns dust into gnats, and the magicians can't do that. <laughs> Something with gnats. I don't know what it was. With frogs, okay. With nothing with gnats. I, I don't know what it is. And they're at a loss. You know, my point is, is that they are created beings, and their power is limited. But his power is eternal. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful but I don't want you to to misunderstand and think that these things are not real, that this is not real, that there is not real spiritual warfare that is going on that you and I do not see, that it's some just thing of Hollywood, some fictitious sleight of hand, some kind of CGI creation. 
when we're dealing with that, oftentimes what's behind some of those horror movies that you like to watch is something very real and something very demonic. And if you're not careful, you can open yourself up to something that you're not even aware of that has very real spiritual demonic power behind it. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, we read the great Shema, Shama, the most legendary prayer in the Hebrew tradition. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, that's Yahweh, L-O-R-D, capital L, our God, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. There are layers of meaning behind this. But what Yahweh is revealing to us and what he revealed to Israel is there is no other God. You love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You love me. Why is that so important? Because there were false gods. There were false gods. You and I were created for worship, but there were false gods. Then people worshiped them, and there were demonic power behind them. But it's critical to understand that God has a name. It's not just God. When you ask people a question like, "Well, well, you know, uh, are, you know, do you believe? Do you believe in in Jesus?" and they say, "Well, I believe in God." How many have ever gotten that response for? Here's my question: Which God? Which God? Which one? Who, who do you worship? Because who you worship is critical. And, and understanding that God is just not a God who's on a level playing field with everybody else. And so, well, I, I come to church and I worship, I do worship Yahweh God. But then I add a little bit of this to it and a little bit of that to it and a little bit of this to it and a little bit of that to it. Ah. But we do. Even here in the West, we do. Israel needed to understand who they worshiped, that it wasn't just one among many gods, that it was the one and only true God, Yahweh, I am. Yahweh, I am. I am. For the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I want to step back for a moment. I want to put all the pieces together. Yahweh, the one true God who created the universe and everything in it. He has no equal. He has no parallel. There is also a multiplicity of these wannabe demonic gods, invisible but very real spiritual beings that are operating in the demonic. And my point in sharing this today is that there are demonic forces with real spiritual power that are worshipped by people throughout our culture today and even here in the United States. These spiritual matters are nothing to mess around with. They're nothing to mess around with. And sometimes we, we don't even realize that there is new age and Eastern religions that are working their way in and we think they're innocent and we think it's easy and we think there's nothing to it. And I want to caution you. I want to caution you because it's not something fictitious. And yes, you might look at a friend who testifies and says, well, I did this and, and this helped me out and, and, and brought healing to my body because I, I did this, this Eastern meditation and cleared my mind and you say can that really be there is some demonic power at times in those kinds of things and if you are not careful you are not worshiping Yahweh you are giving yourself over to something demonic and demonic influence not everything to do with mediums 
and psychics is a, is a hoax and a phony baloney. There are some, there are others that have tapped into the demonic and into the spiritual realm. And if you're not careful, you will find yourself thinking of something just innocent and not recognizing the power behind it that has the ability to block things up in your soul and take you away from the one true God. Now, I don't want you to be afraid because you need to understand that Yahweh is the God above all. And let me bring it home. All right, let me bring it home. Where, where does Jesus come into this? See, Yahweh is all-powerful. He's all-powerful. So where does Jesus come into this cosmic battle? Well, last week, we said that Jesus was the, the human embodiment, Yahweh in the flesh. He was not one of somebody different. He was Yahweh in the flesh, creator God in the flesh. And the New Testament writers look back on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and, and they are clear on Jesus' primary agenda. It was to seek and save the lost, and it was also this, to disarm the powers of this spiritual dark realm to disarm the powers of the enemy and Satan and his demonic hold. Listen to the writer John's summary of Jesus' work. The reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. Acts 10, 38. This is what Peter, in preaching to Cornelius, this is what he said in his sermon. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he ran around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Come on, somebody. Come on. Mark gets right to the point. Mark 1, 39. He traveled through Galilee. This is Jesus preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. In the Old Testament, you don't see exorcism. But here, when Jesus comes, all of a sudden, the Gospels are chock full of Jesus casting out all sorts of demons and overcoming the power of the enemy. Because in Jesus, he is the name that is above all names. He's the name above all names. Nowhere. Nowhere is God's power over the, dynamic, the, the, the demonic gods of the evil age more clear and compelling than in Jesus' own death and resurrection. You see, for a brief moment in history, it looked like Yahweh had lost. It looked like his son had been killed and crucified and the very hope of Israel had been, had been taken out for a brief moment in history. It looked like the son of man hanging on the cross oh, was but a loss. But three days later, that tomb was empty. This can be an Easter message. Jesus is alive. And what happens? His resurrection power breaks the spine of death itself. Not through violence, but by his sacrificial love. And Paul says this about the cross. Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Triumphing over them by the cross. He put them to shame. He put them to shame. The cross disarmed the powers of the enemy. And, and, and Jesus did a little victory dance at the end of the end zone. <laughs> right? The end of the end zone. Jesus, Jesus demonstrated Yahweh's power over all the other gods and the demonic. And that same Christ lives in you and I. And so when you and I begin to worship Yahweh and we begin to pray, 
we begin to understand that this battle that we face, this struggle that we face is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers of this dark world. And yes, there are a lot of people who are under the influence of the enemy. And there are a lot of things that are taking place because of, 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 of the demonic power. But let me tell you something, Jesus Christ has won the battle and he has given us victory and Yahweh, who is Yahweh, who is omnipotent, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, he is God. And in him, we have power to overcome the enemy and any of these other gods. Any of these other gods. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Friends, I think it's time for us to stop playing around and thinking that everything that happens is just natural. To think that there's not real spiritual power or that we, we can play around with these kinds of things and not understand that there is very real demonic powers and forces behind them. Nevertheless, do not lose heart because we serve Yahweh. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. In Jesus, we have the power to be able to overcome the enemy. And how do we fight these battles? We fight these battles on our knees. And we fight these battles in our worship. And we fight these battles with our sacrificial, humble obedience to the Almighty God. And we allow God to demonstrate his power over the enemy. And to break the strongholds. And to break the powers of darkness in this present world. In our communities. And in our families. And we pray over people's lives. Why? Because we serve a God that is the God above of every other God and he is able to set people free he can set people free he has set us free he is victorious Yahweh in the flesh so let's bow our heads for a moment and worship team will you come as we close let me ask you this are you struggling have you been maybe dabbling in some things that you thought were innocent and maybe they're not. You've been messing around with the demonic and you don't even realize it. Maybe there's some things in your life that you don't even recognize. Some things that, that you've been giving place to in your life. And it's time. It's time to allow Yahweh. It's time to allow Jesus to break that power. The power of the enemy over your life. To break you free from these other gods. And the power that can oftentimes hang on to our, to our hearts. Can oftentimes create things in our lives, strongholds in our lives that cannot be broken. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would begin to reveal yourself, Yahweh. We worship you. You are the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are all-powerful. There is none like you. You are the God above all gods. There is no God that, that has power. Their power is limited, but your power is eternal. And Father, we, we pray right now, I pray that you would begin to set hearts free. I pray that you would begin to set pre people free in the name of Jesus. That God, we stop messing around thinking that somehow you're just on an all, uh, equal playing field with everything else. No, you are eternal. You are God. There is no one like you. That God, we would, we would recognize the very real spiritual presence of darkness and the demonic we would not mess around with those things, but Lord, instead, we would love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We worship you today. We worship you today.
We worship you today. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.